The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all looking so tanned and rosy. <laughs> morning, Scott. You're one to talk. You look like you had a good summer, too. Uh, So far, so good. Yeah, it's good to see you all. And, you know, here we are. uh, First week back, we were just chatting uh, uh, off air and such that uh, there hasn't been a a terrible uh, amount of turmoil over the summer. And and, and I guess good news this week that the interest rates uh, did not go up and have stayed steady at 5%. How do you view all that? Yeah, that's that prime. The, that means for somebody borrowing money, the average consumer, that's the prime lending rate for us is 7.2. And yeah, that was the only thing that took place in interest rates over the whole summer. They went up by a quarter of 1%. So they're 6.95, uh, you know, come the end of June. And here we are in September and they're six, uh, 7.2. Now, yeah, it's nice to see a pause. We were actually surprised it went up at all during the summer. Uh, inflation rate is, it went from 2.8 to 3.3. Uh, most of that had to do with, um, you know, gasoline prices. But at the end of the day, I, I, I questioned this whole 2%. Because if you go back all the way to 1934, till now, the average inflation rate's been around 3.5%. And seemed to be okay for most of that. No, you know, if it got to 3%, nobody really complained. So I guess there must be more to this story than simply trying to get it to 2%. Weirdly enough, when it's at 2 they're always saying, oh, how do we get the economy going? <laughs> okay, because it, huh. it seems like it's too low. So there doesn't seem to be a, a perfect um, amount. But, you know, at 3%, I think most people would be okay with that. And it certainly has been almost for the, a good part of a century. It's interesting, Don, and, and we've talked about this before, and, and many comparing it to losing weight, those last couple of pounds are the hardest, but is it really <laughs> worth the sacrifice? Like to get that extra half a point, is it worth putting people through the pain of jacking up the interest rates? Is 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 it worth the payoff? <clears throat> that is a fantastic analogy. And you get these people that are trying to lose weight and they're getting down to a certain amount of body fat, say. But now you're subject to other things. Um, you get colder easier. You know, and and you're top end athletes, and it's hard. So you know, a little bit extra fat's not a bad thing, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking this inflation. I don't personally don't think it's worth it, but uh, I'm not running the Bank of Canada, so um, I'm glad to see they paused it anyway. All right, I'm gonna. With that note, I'm gonna have another croissant. You go ahead. Well, I just thought you, I just I thought had you said one. you're not gonna run the marathon, but <laughs> there you go. Well, it is back to uh, kind of back to after summer. It always feels like back to work, back to school. And with that school, and I don't know, Mitch, you, uh, you're talking about how do we save for those um, education costs? Yeah, especially after a long weekend and a lot of people went away. Um, back to school has been on the radio for a long time now. And it's back to school is right. So school is an important goal when it comes to lots of financial plans. Obviously, the uh, people that are having kids um, more so. And, but also grandparents as well, um, wanting to pay for their kids, uh, grandkids. So starting as young as possible to save for that goal, it really makes a big difference. 
thankfully, uh, students, they're actually, they're allowed to go back to campus. Um, they were last year as well. Uh, thankfully, COVID seems to be in the rear, which is nice. Uh, people are going back and getting the full experience, which is great to hear. Uh, I know I've had lots of clients that were disappointed that their kids weren't really getting out there and getting the full experience, uh, meeting new people. So it's, it's really nice to see that that's happening. Uh, full force these days. Uh, 2023, uh, the inflation rates, like you're just mentioning, they've come down significantly, um, but they're still going to continue to try to get them down. But uh, obviously school is, they, they can't hide from inflation as well. So they go up with the cost of inflation. Um, and I went and looked into schooling costs and I took two schools, uh, both, I took the business program. And so one of the schools was Queens. And so Queens for tuition is 15,500. <laughs> for one year uh, and then the room is 8900 roughly depending what you're looking for it could be more it could be less but that is probably the median around there uh, 3200 for food seems to be what was found on the queen's website is roughly what it should be about 2300 for books depending upon if you buy it first source or you find secondhand sources that seems to be in the middle as well and 2500 for miscellaneous fees, internet, laundry, there's always going to be other expenses that uh, you can't necessarily account for. So the total for one year uh, of university at Queens is roughly $32,400. Wow. Which, uh, which would be four years is $130,000 to do the business program at Queens. And that's in 2023, this year. Maybe and, it's uh, just better to buy a car and live in that the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure really? you'll, learn, you'll learn some stuff out there too. I'm sure. <laughs> My goodness. That, I mean, it, it's hard to be optimistic for a kid moving forward with all this, let alone housing and all the rest of it. It's, it's pretty difficult. You got to plan for this. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of stuff uh, to account for when you're going to school and out of curiosity, just seeing what the cost was with no room, uh, like room and board, it's going to run you about 95,000 at Queens, which is about 24,000. A year so if you do live near there or close enough to drive uh, you would save a pretty significant amount there but about thirty-five thousand. Uh, but if you compare that to going to mohawk which it's a college around the area uh, the only difference is the tuition actually the two websites basically had the same numbers more or less and the tuition for a business program it kind of depends on the business but it can be between 2700 to 5400 so if we go in the middle there about 3700 per year so with all else the same as queens this is going to be twenty thousand six hundred dollars per year if you're going to live there so eighty two thousand for four years to go to mohawk and if you're but if you can stay at home it's going to be forty seven thousand for the four years so eleven thousand eight hundred per year so it's still not cheap to go to college versus university that's it wasn't, I, know, I remember my dad, I remember you telling it wasn't long ago that you were saying that was probably for the entire four years when you went to McMaster. Yes, <laughs> and I, I don't know what the McMaster rates are. And I, I would suspect Queens is maybe on the slightly higher side than the norm. Uh, uh, yeah, they are, but McMaster was not far off. Okay, okay. And I know, Mac, uh, uh, the very first year, the very first term was under a thousand dollars. That was the only time, and I am talking about 1985 here, folks. So, um, but but the second term it jumped over a thousand dollars. So call it two thousand dollars tuition for the first year. And I lived at home and, and drove back and forth the first few years. But now that same time is about fifteen thousand dollars for a year. Like that's sevenfold 
in the period. I know we're talking 30 some odd years, 35 years or eight years, but at the same time, that's a lot. And for, unfortunately, the, you know, how do kids save money for this is, it's almost impossible. Mm. And, you yeah. know, Mitch brings up a very valid point. You know, the, co- uh, the cost of the actual tuition may be different between college and university, but the housing costs, the food costs, the incidentals, I mean, they're just, they're almost the same. It, it, it was the exact same, like maybe a hundred dollars yeah. different from the Mohawk website to the Queens website. But uh, so it's nice that you brought up the 30 year difference in price there, because now I'm going to what, what happens if you had a kid today? Yeah. And you're trying to save for 18 years from now for when they're going to go to school. How much is that going to cost? So if you were to have a kid today to go to Queens, you're looking at two hundred three thousand dollars for four years of education. And that's at two and a half percent increases per year. So that's in that two to three percent inflation that you're talking about earlier that where you might see. So in the next 18 years, you're looking at fifty thousand seven hundred dollars per year to stay at Queens. And, and and if I were to go back, the tuition costs often surpass the inflation rate. I don't know if that's yeah. still the case. So that's I think you're probably being conservative at two and a half percent. I completely agree with you. I, I wanted to I didn't want to go over and say you know what school yeah. school's gonna be three hundred thousand dollars so you better start saving 10 years ago um <laughs> so really and, uh, the really the big decision here and i joked earlier about the car you compare with the cost that you're talking about mitch it's almost like buying a house do i want to put it here do i want to put it there good enough you're gonna see who knows you might see a down payment like a mortgage just to go to school because the schooling yeah. costs are as much as houses used to cost at this point yeah right but, and, uh, and and this is local this is canadians going to a canadian university if yeah you this were isn't to go- even international fees if you're looking mm-hmm. at international fees you're almost doubling that yes it's like the international fees that i was just looking at was huge so you're seeing a <laughs> but you're also seeing a lot of international students come here too because it's I, I believe it's a little easier to get in coming here yeah. um, because they want to get those international dollars. Just as a lot of Canadians, you're seeing them go to Ireland for med school. You're seeing them go to uh, the U.S., uh, all sorts of places for other schooling because they can get in there. Um, and schools really like to get the the double tuition, obviously, because it's going to pay for a lot of their expenses and other and other stuff there. So, but Clear, is, clearly they're not putting the extra money into housing, but that's another issue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so the, this is obviously a very large expense. Uh, what is the best way to save for it? Uh, the, there's a great account the, to use for this called the Registered Education Savings Plan, the RESP. Uh, it's a sponsored program by the Canadian government to encourage investing in a child's future post-secondary education. Uh, parents and grandparents or others can contribute to the account and build up funds to be used for schooling. So a couple of great benefits to this account. Uh, one of the benefits is the government is going to match 20% of every cent put into the account. And this is called the Canadian Education Savings Grant. It's the CESG portion. And these con- contributions can be done, uh, earned grant all the way f- from when the account can be opened uh, until the child ter- until the end of the year when the child turns 17. So this is a great benefit. Uh, it's free money from the government. And the maximum amount you can get per year is $500. Um, and you get, so if you invest $2,500 or two for the year or $208 per month, you're going to get $500 for the year. And, uh, and that'll be a nice thing to add up per year. 
Uh, the maximum amount of grant you can receive from the government is $7,200, which, Don, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. Has that, has, has that changed? No, this is actually a bit of my pet peeve. They've changed the amount you can add per year, but it just means that you get to the maximum quicker. So the actual dollars that the, the government's giving to us, in spite of all the inflation that we just talked about, they have not moved that one bit. So this has not been indexed. If it was indexed, it'd be probably about 15000 by now, in at least. So yeah, it's, a, it's still a great program, and we should definitely uh, maximize. Anytime you get free money, go for it. But it'd be great to see the government index that amount. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A quick break here, and we're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, we're talking about retirement and a roadmap on how to get there. I have packed a lunch. Let's go. Let's take this trip. Uh, you know what? One thing that did happen over the summer in talking with people was that whole idea is, is why don't they teach this in school? And that has got to be the million dollar question of all the things that there could be a class on. <laughs> all the things, put it this way, all the things that you did learn in school and you're not using. Versus this is something guaranteed that you need to know in order to be successful in terms of a financial plan and, and just terminology. And we've talked about this a lot. And I know uh, we've, I've personally gone into schools before and, and given a little you know, discussion to kids. And some of them, the light bulbs are totally on. Some are not on. And I'm sure every teacher can relate <laughs> to that. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it can be daunting. And sometimes it's overwhelming. And just talking just you know, about the RESP, all of a sudden you got this nugget of, oh, God, this is going to cost over $200,000 for my kid to go to post-secondary school now never mind 18 years from now that's a daunting number well that's just the resp that's education what about the bigger goal how do i retire and then live the rest of my life in a certain retirement lifestyle and that is the big question so it's for most people it's kind of a hazy objective they talk about it and i in fact i had a chat with a couple people and they say well you know what my dad died early and I just know I'm going to, I want to just live for today. I said, yeah, well, you know, I, my in-laws, none, none of them made 70 and he's now 84. Actually, none of them made 65 and he's now almost 85. So you just can't look at what your parents did and use that as saying, I'm not going to save any money because there's always what, you know, it almost seems to work against you. Guaranteed you're going to have lots of longevity if you don't save money. <laughs> it's Murphy's law. Here. You ever just find those people that, like, I don't know, they just kind of assume that it's just going to work out and they just, they just, oh yeah, like if he figured it out, well then I'll for sure be able to figure it out and retire as well. A hundred percent. But they don't know that a lot of people are getting some assistance and this is, it's a very difficult thing. Eventually it comes down to math. So one question I, I always ask clients 
in one way or another, one shape or form, is how do you see your retirement? What do you think your retirement's going to look like? And then have them chat about this. What do you think? Okay. And you know what? Because whatever they see, there's a number attached to that. And that's attachment, of course, is money. And we have to have a certain amount of dollars to maintain that lifestyle. So it's usually an interesting, fluffy conversation just to kind of get an idea of what they want to accomplish in retirement. Because a lot of people think, well, you know, I only need to live on, say, 50 to 60% of what I was making before. And I say to most clients, that is absolutely true if you don't have money. <laughs> <laughs> because do you tell me, I, I got clients, of course, the clients that have money, they are not living on 15, 60% of what they used to spend. In fact, some of them are spending way more than they were spending because one thing you got all the time, all what you have now that you didn't have is time. Yeah. And you got lots of time and every day is a Saturday, every day is a weekend and you got time to spend money and you're not sitting there working where you can't spend it. Um, hypothetically, I know uh, Amazon and others made it easier for people to spend money, but anyhow, so it comes down to math and there's so many calculators out there. And it was interesting. I, I, th I said, okay, I was going through this article and, and from the Globe Mail is actually quite good. And one of the sites that it referred to was the Government of Canada website. And you, you throw in all your information, such as your date of birth, your annual income. What's your annual retirement income goal? That's a real fluffy one. I'm not saying this is a great site, by the way, but this is how most of the calculators are. Because most people don't know what they're spending. So how do they know what their annual income goal will be? If they think, you know, their credit cards, if they're up, they're spending more than they're making, first of all. And if they... And that's a real telltale sign. So the first thing you need to do to say, okay, what are we spending our money on now? This is our working lifestyle. And then you need to really go into a detailed plan. What are we going to spend our money on when we retire? So there's two lifestyles there. One pre-retirement, one post-retirement. One thing you're saying, an example, you're not going to be putting money in the Canada Pension Plan after you retire. But maybe you're going to spend more time uh, spending money on trips maybe for the first 10 years of retirement. So anyway, it, it will go through your Canada pension plan. And it refers to that excellent part of the pro program. We'll go ask about the old age security, if there's any um, employer pensions. Not as uh, likely anymore. Okay. Um, I know we've talked about that at length, but very few people are getting um, employer pensions now, uh, except for the public sector. When you're going to end, it's interesting, this particular program had the retirement finishing at age 85 well i thought that was on a little on the young side i guess perhaps i i'm i'm somewhat biased because i currently have two parents at age 85 and two in-laws at age 84 so people are just living longer and so you can bump that age so i bumped it to 100 as out of curiosity it did have a annual rate of return previous to retirement and after retirement which i thought was quite good and um and then it kind of just gave you how you're going to do. And it also did include clawback on old age security clawback. So if you made over a certain amount of income, it would be clawed back. And then it asked about your investments. Okay, how much RSPs do you have? How much in TFSAs? And any other investments do you have? Same type of things that we do. But what I found is it didn't have any inflation factor built into this. And boy, if you're not including inflation in your plan right now, uh, that's the, why do you think our interest rates were so high right now? It's, it's all about inflation. 
And so that seemed to be a big miss. It didn't have a lot of what if I need a new car. That was never built in. There was never the one-offs. And this is why having a financial planner go through this data. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do this. Um, in fact, I say the opposite. You should do this. I think it's a great exercise just to kind of go get your mind set into this. Because I think we go through our day-to-day activities and we don't want to have this, you know, put pen to paper and, and have a discussion with our spouse or partner and talk about money. It's usually not the best conversation and we want to talk about probably almost anything else. We want to talk about other stuff. And one other thing is, is well, even if you do talk about it, doesn't mean you know what you're really discussing. Uh, you bring up a valid point too, Don. And, and we've talked about this forever, whether it's wills, whatever, you know, people just keep delaying, delaying, procrastinating, procrastinating. But as people do re- uh, approach retirement age, it kind of forces them to have this discussion because it's lying. It's staring them in the face. Without without question there, Scott. And this is why we do get a lot of phone calls and a lot of appointments to discuss this later on. Now, of course, you know, Mitch is seeing a lot of people that are, you know, in their 30s and 40s and they're pre-retirement. Um, but, you know, most of my clients are, are very close to retirement, say five to 10 years out or already in retirement. And how do we maximize what we already have? And so it's it, it, even if you have all this data, though, it's what do you do with this data? And it's nice to have this projection, but it's actually a bit sobering. So when somebody puts all this information in and they realize, holy smokes, I can only have a 35,000 year income when I retire right now, or maybe I'm really in good shape. But regardless of what it spits out, I would give that as a, a rule of thumb at best. It gives you an idea because it is quite sobering once you get these cold hard facts in front of you. And the rising inflation would be the biggest miss because what you, we just talked about education in 30 years, how how basically tuition's gone sevenfold. Well, most people's retirement is 30 years. Okay, you spend a 30-year life in retirement. So if you're not indexing your lifestyle, um, then that's a huge miss. You're going to find out that you're going to decrease your lifestyle all the way through retirement. So, are you fit to be retired in the first place? Well, first thing. Do you are you debt free or will you be debt free? And is there a game plan to become debt free if you're not? Extremely important. What it ends up happening is how much money are you are you going to burn through every month? And so if you're paying, say, a thousand dollars a month on a loan payment or a lease payment, if you will, on cars or or a mortgage payment, that's a thousand dollars a month that has to come from somewhere either from your investments or through Canada Pension Plan or from your pension at work, that has to come from somewhere. And you may have been making $100,000 a year before, and it was not a big deal. But all of a sudden at retirement, that extra $1,000 a month is a game changer. It's all after-tax money too. So if you're taking it from a RIF at that point, you're you're taking more than 1000 You could be taking 1200 1300 a month to pay down that, that loan. So it's it's not just straightforward $1,000 a month. It could be a... a Thirty percent, forty percent more than that. Yeah, that's a really good point because you, you, what we get when we're working is just a normal paycheck. Is that's after-tax money, so you know yeah. exactly what's going into your bank account, and I can afford X amount based on this. But then when you're retired, um, yes, you may not have enough withholding tax off your RSPs or your RIFs, and you get a nasty surprise come tax time saying, "Oh, oh, 
And this is a conversation we have, unfortunately, with a lot of clients as they may have cashed in money from an RSP to pay for a trip. And, you know, they may have only had 20% withholding tax and it should have been 40% tax. And so, yeah, you, everything is always after tax. Everybody's expenses, to the most part, are after tax money. And so, yes, if it's coming out of your TFSA, that's after tax. There's no tax in that. But as Mitch just said, if it's coming from an RSP or a RIF, that's a pre-tax. You got to take the after-tax dollars out of that. And, uh, and, and you have to be careful which account you're taking it from, like you just mentioned. And uh, I mean, at the end of the year, I know we look at um, topping up income to play with the tax brackets. So uh, towards the end of the year, if you're looking at a big expense, maybe they have space to take it from the RIF versus the TFSA. Uh, tax bracket management is extremely important, Mitch. Thanks for bringing that up because, you know, we don't want to get people clawing back their old age security by getting over the, say, the $86,000 mark. And so you have to look at if you can, and this is why we're so busy near the end of the year, is trying to look at how much can we pull out of these RSPs and pay the least amount of tax. And sometimes it's a matter of just paying the tax, even if they don't need the money and putting that elsewhere because it's at a low tax bracket. Because we'd hate to give the government 53.5% down the road. And that's always the bigger picture. So in a nutshell, yeah, there's so many moving parts, whether it's trying to save for education, you're trying to RSP, you're trying to um, you look at your retirement, but also what about your kids if you have offspring? Are you dependent free? Oh yeah, your kids may have moved away. Okay, but are they truly dependent free? I still see clients are still paying their cell phone bills for their kids. And you know what? It's very tempting to help out the kids. Everybody wants to help old kids because they don't want to see the hardship. Even though you may have gone through the hardship to do things, we don't want to see our kids go through that hardship. It's not right. Okay. So it's a different kind of feeling. And people make a lot of emotional decisions with their money um, trying to help old kids. And this is where having that third party, such as a financial planner, to sit in saying, here's the cost, or you can't afford that. Your plan didn't take this into account, but let's see if we can. We put it in, no, wow. Okay, well, if you don't take vacations for the next three years or you don't go to Florida in the, in the winter, you can afford to do that. So it's there's always a ramification about doing things like that. So dependent-free, is your portfolio optimized to give you a predictable income? Well, we've seen what the markets have done in the last few years. It's always nice to have some part of it that can give you a predictable income and so you can get that retirement paycheck. And so having... You know, of course, going back pre-COVID, interest rates were, or actually during COVID, interest rates almost got to basically free. And if you put your money into a GIC, you basically got half a percent. Now you're getting almost 6% for a one-year GIC. But does it still make sense? Well, you got to pay tax on that interest if it's non-registered. And what happens in a year from now when that GIC matures? And they're talking about interest rates declining. And, and that's why you're seeing what uh, the bond rate for the long term is actually giving a lower interest rate than the short term rates because everybody is expecting the rates to drop. So it's I know it's very tempting to just throw your money in a one year GIC. Hey, no risk. I got six percent. Well, next thing you know, as a year goes by and first of all, you end up paying a whole lot more tax. There's tax risk. And then what happens when it comes down? There's interest rate risk in case the rates do drop which is very much forecasted at this stage. You had something, Mitch? No, I didn't. Uh, sorry, but the, another thing with the GIC is that you, I mean, yeah, you said it's at 6%, but you also, 
necessarily could be missing out on the market as well. So don't be putting all your money in a 6% GIC. Look at the S&P this year up 17%, um, still far below all-time highs. Um, so there's still room to grow to just to get back to all-time highs, which will happen over the long term. Um, so a 6% GIC is great for some short-term funds, maybe something you have to use in a year from now, maybe maybe a wedding, maybe something yeah. like that. But if you're looking for long-term investments, um, just throwing it in GICs, you could all of your money into a GIC would could be doing you a disservice because the market's still far below all-time highs because of the last uh, last year. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it always seems to be easier. It seems like it's risk-free, but what cost? And that's that opportunity cost you mentioned, Mitch. And, and most and you go back, if that was the case, why do all pension funds have a large portion? Why, why do they have a large portion in equities? Because they know over the long haul, that would be the best way to beat inflation. And GICs have guarantee you will never beat inflation. It always works that way. So at the end of the day, you have to look at this, bring pen, pen to paper, figure this out, but the best thing is to sit down with a financial planner. And it also goes to the non-financial considerations. Are you really re um, mentally ready to leave the workforce? Um, retirement is a major life change. Your social network change. There's a whole lot of kind of areas. And I and one client of mine always jokes uh, that, oh, Don, can I retire? And I always say, I don't know, Jim, can you really retire? And he says, yeah, probably not. So one thing is the financial side, but one thing is the, the, the mental side of it. And that's just as important. It's funny. Uh, we've been doing this for about 20 years or so. And the only message or the only thing that has changed are the figures. It's amazing how that has changed over the last 20 years, going from, you know, minuscule uh, gains and so on to, to the environment that we're in now. It's amazing how it was supposed to change in a few years. It took 20 years before it really got to where it is now. It's It's been a fascinating journey, but the message is the same. The figures, the numbers a bit different. All right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Don Fox and Mitch Fox here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, donfox.net to find out more. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. All right, Mitch, uh, the golden rules of investing. We're all sitting on the edge of our seat here. How do we get rich? <laughs> are you having lunch over there? Yeah. Ready to listen? All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there's so many theories, myths, and so many people around the world telling you all of these different things, rules uh, in the investment world, TV personality, stock analysts. And I mean, you can find endless things on the internet of telling you what you should be doing at any time. I know, I know I've got lots of clients who are calling or emailing me about the, the crisis du jour, which is like the something happening today, which probably isn't happening, but they need to be talked to about it. <laughs> and uh, but uh, everyone has different goals and different timelines, but there are some things that are just they should always be abide by. And one of them is if you can't afford to invest yet, you shouldn't. Uh, this rule seems kind of obvious, but you, you might be surprised about how many people ignore it. 
We've seen people borrow money to invest on margin, even while they're they're in huge credit card balances. We've watched people buy penny stocks um, and take huge risks, even if they struggle to come up with uh, money to buy groceries. They just they they get FOMO and they think that you know what this one's gonna make it big and then I'll be okay. And so they take a loan out and then they put themselves in a big a big hole there. So instead of doing that, you should be looking to pay down debt if you have some, versus. put it investing money on its own like if you have a five thousand if you have a five thousand dollar balance on your credit card at 20 percent interest paying down that balance guarantees you that you're not going to be paying 20 percent interest there there's no investment that we can recommend that's guaranteed to give you 20 percent return so why why would you want to be putting money into your investments that are likely paying five to seven percent per year when you're letting a 20 percent interest debt just drag you down year over year and that's guaranteed and visa mastercard all the big credit card companies they they love you for it but we're here to tell you that you should be paying down those credit cards uh as much as we want to see you invest and put money towards your goals not paying down your credit cards just going to slow down all of your goals by doing that so that would be the first thing that you should be paying down is your high high interest uh debts all of those debts even even the Uh, the line of credits that are, that aren't secured now they're very high they're over 10% like at this point and those should be getting paid down uh before investing as well um even secured ones are getting pretty high as well so paying down debts is a guaranteed way to not be paying interest just just as a GIC is going to guarantee to earn you 6% um these high debt these high interest debts are going to charge you guaranteed no matter what Um, so pay down those debts before you start investing. The next one is have the correct investment expectations. Risks widely, they vary across investment markets and products. So you have to be wary, uh, implied rates of return. Uh, sometimes they sound too good to be true because they probably are, um, at best, very high risk or at worst, complete scams sometimes. Um, obviously, uh, lots of people bring up crypto as a complete scam and there, there are tons of them out there that are. Um, there's some that aren't, but there are tons that are. So you have to be very careful about what you're getting yourselves into. We obviously don't recommend any crypto products, um, but uh, you have to be very careful about what you hear. There are a lot of scams out there and guaranteeing you that you're going to get rich in the next year. So you have to be very, um, you have to have good expectations on what your return is and be careful about what sounds way too good. Uh, having a realistic long-term rate of return for stock is a better thing to have instead so for a stock investor you might be getting around five to seven percent um, some years will do a lot better some years will do worse but if you're looking at a 10-year 20-year time horizon you should have the expectation that a properly diversified portfolio is probably going to get you around five to eight percent um, for a bond investor you might get three to five percent maybe somewhere around there but just like if you look at last year um, fixed income which is bonds did worse than some stock markets, which because they raise interest rates so dramatically. So you have to have correct expectations about what your investments are going to do. And you can't be too emotional about the ups and downs and look at the long term. So if you're looking at a three-year time horizon, it might be very volatile and you could be down in three years. But if you're looking at a 10-year period, it's very unlikely that you're going to be down. Um, especially a 20-year period. There's never been a 20-year period that's ever been down. So you have to have long-term expectations with your investments, uh, but you also have to understand your investments. And I know Don's a huge Warren Buffett guy. 
and I'm pretty sure he said this on the radio before, but he, Warren Buffett never invests in something he doesn't understand. And uh, you seriously have to talk to your advisor and get so, at least some sort of grasp as to what they're recommending, what they're recommend, recommending for your portfolio. And just to know, and not just like, obviously we want our clients to trust us and they all do, but we want them to also be clear about what they're investing in, how, what, what in Canada, what in us, how much fixed income um, ETFs, every product that you have, just so that you know what you're investing in. Um, you So when you hear stuff on the radio, you might be, oh, I'm invested in that. Nice. Or, oh, not so nice. But uh, at least it's good to know what you're invested in. Uh, another one is diversification. Uh, you have to have a diversified portfolio. You, you can't just put all of your wealth into one area and just hope. That's just not going to work out too well. Some will work out great, but there's going to be about 95% of people that work out very poorly. So having to having the expectations that you're going to have a diversified portfolio throughout Canada, US, international fixed income and emerging markets, making sure you're not just heavily concentrated into one area is the way that you're going to get a consistent long-term rate of return. And that's going to make sure that you're, uh, I know this is another quote from Don here for you actually, is uh, that you're not going to make a killing with diversification. Uh, you're also not going to get killed. I know he's said that a few times here and it's, it's truly true that if you diversify your portfolio, you're going to get that five to 8% rate of return, which is going to beat inflation and keep your purchasing power for all of your retirement expenses and all of your other goals. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A quick break here. We'll come back from our last segment moments from now. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. All right. Always fascinating ways to end the show, Don has. <laughs> and, and this time, it's what happens when your spouse receives an inheritance i guess it's time to not talk about divorce i mean where do we go uh, with this yeah wow you know what it's sometimes i think the one receiving the inheritance thinks wow this is great but the spouse of that person who they didn't receive it they're thinking yahoo my wife or husband just received an inheritance. Look at all the things we can do. We're going to get a new car. We're going to pay off the debts. We're going to invest some money. We're going to buy a cottage. We're going to get a new dock, whatever it might be. <laughs> so it's it's funny in one sense, the one receiving it thinking, well, you know what? I, I might want to be prudent with this. And the other spouse who didn't receive it thinking, this is fantastic. My, my spouse got this money. I, I got all sorts of ways to spend it. And it's legally, it's it's quite an interesting way of going about this. So let's say you're you're not married, you're engaged, or any time before marriage, you received an inheritance. And then subsequently you get married later. Well, whatever you bring into the marriage, you get to keep if there was ever a divorce down the road. But all the growth from those assets um, are split 50-50. Now, if you receive an inheritance, your spouse receives an inheritance, and during the marriage, 
that's it's a totally different story. That money does not be part of that property division, okay? But there's a lot of caveats to that. Um, if let's say they, and if, I'll make a very simple example, they your spouse inherits a hundred thousand, and you simply take that money and you pay down a hundred thousand on your mortgage, and then you divorce later. Well, that hundred thousand has now been intermingled with a matrimonial home, and therefore it's fifty-fifty. You basically you half your inheritance went to your husband and half went to the wife. Okay, um, if it's used for any kind of joint type of things. It's uh, it's basically gets to be intermingled, and it's very, it's it's a touchy subject because if you're in debt, for example, and you and your wife or husband went, gets a hundred thousand dollars, and they say, you know what, I'm going to put this in an investment. Well, they're looking at their credit card bills, and they're thinking, well, as Mitch just talked about, paying down that twenty percent credit card would make a lot of sense. Yes, honey, but you know what, if I put it into that. Then if we divorce, we're not gonna. We I I don't get to keep that money. Well, that you can only imagine how that conversation will go, <laughs> okay? And so he or she whoever inherited got that inheritance is absolutely right. If you kept it separate, and it grew, that hundred thousand grew to a million dollars over many years, and it was always kept in. And let's say for example, the wife inherit received the inheritance, and then there's a separate a divorce. Well, the husband would have no entitlement to that inheritance, including the growth, as long as it wasn't intermingled. And so it, it, there's some gray area, though. Um, you could say, well, let's say I, I take some of the interest every year and I pay down debt. Well, now you're using that to help the overall um, you know, marriage, so to speak, or matrim you know, combined assets. So it, it's, it is tricky, but it is very very prudent to do this. And and what I would suggest is most people, they get this money, and if they're happily married, and it's usually later in life when they inherit money anyway, then they think, start doing things, okay, this is our money. It's not his money and her money, it's our money. That would be the majority of people work together on that money. But if there's some, you know, thunderstorms on the horizon matrimonially, you may say, I want to keep this separate, and I don't want to intermingle it, uh, because, you know, my father, he passed away and I received this money and I want this separate from my marriage. They should respect that, you know, rightfully so. It's not their money. The, your spouse did not receive this money. They should respect the fact that they did not receive this money and they should respect it. And time will go on. And I'm sure over time what ends up happening is they start getting into the pot a little bit and they start to do things. They pay off a car. But to think that, the spouse also gets a windfall uh, that could go sour pretty good. So at the end of the day, it's all about conflict management because there's going to be $1 trillion in inheritance handed down to Canadians before 2026. Okay. Let me re let me say that again. 1 trillion. That's only three years. It's going to be past hands within the next three years to the next generation. That is a truckload of money. That's a thousand billion dollars, folks. So Don, that is Don, Don, there. Don, Don, don't don't our prime minister might be listening. Don't say <laughs> that. <laughs> well, uh, trust me, there the government is getting a good pie. So if if we are getting a trillion, I don't know how much the government's getting it, but I would think it's gonna be five hundred billion. 
Yeah, 500 billion of it anyway. I call it a third. So there's a lot of money the government's getting. And trust me, the government knows about these numbers. Um, so with this, there should nice thing about having a financial planner is it takes that friction out of it. We're sitting down with clients across the table, letting them know the rules. So it's not like his and her money, or you got this inheritance. Well, we talk about says, you know what? Um, you know, Kelly, as an example, Kelly, you received this money. It is your right. Here are the rules. If I would recommend maybe doing this, but here's the risk. So we just like to point out, here's the risks, but here's also the risk if you don't do things, not matrimonial risk, perhaps, or marriage risk, but also what position will you be if you don't pay off debts? So there is a, it's great to have that intermediate to sit there and discuss both sides of it and being very pragmatic and take the emotion out because money is emotional. And if money is emotional, you can only imagine what inherited money is. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. A great start to a new season, uh, gentlemen. Thank you so much and have a great week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.